Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we're talking about the art of reading dangerously. Our guest is Iranian-American author Hazar Nafisi, who has written a book called Read Dangerously, The Subversive Power of Literature in Troubled Times. In 2003, Azar's memoir, Reading Lolita in Tehran, became a worldwide bestseller as she shared her experiences of living and working and reading in Iran under its repressive regime. Read Dangerously is composed of letters to Azar's father. Azar addresses immigration, Donald Trump, George Floyd, and living under the pandemic, while also contemplating her former life in Iran. She moved to the United States in 1997. In this new book, Azar considers the work of influential writers, including Toni Morrison, James Baldwin, and Margaret Atwood, while asking challenging questions about the times in which we live. Welcome, Azar. Thank you. Yeah, it's lovely to ha- lovely to have you. Um, so, uh, <laughs> troubled times. You you're not kidding. Um, were you even able to read effectively during the, the pandemic? I actually found it very hard to concentrate on reading in the first 12 months of the pandemic. And you, you were writing during uh, some of this time. It was difficult to focus, but um, ironically, that was the only place where, we could ha- where I could have any focus. So on one hand, uh, my mind would sort of... Uh, step out of the book and uh, go out into the reality. Uh, but what um, made it feel secure and safe uh, was reading and later writing. So reading, it sounds like reading has always been a refuge for you. Always, always. Since childhood, I just have learned Uh, that um, no matter how the world is, how the world goes, and what my situation is, um, reading and writing um, make me want to survive. And so, yes. So it's your, not just a happy place, but a comfort place for you as well then? You know, simultaneously it is comfort place and also a disturbing place because great books that I read, uh, they uh, question not just the world, but they question a lot of things about me. And I always have to be on my toes. I always have to be vigilant and uh, listen to the book, try to uh, get the gist of the book and uh, Uh, It is not always comforting what I read, but it is comforting to know that there is a space where you are completely free, where you can be and do whatever you want to. That that it it is it has a liberating effect on me more than comforting. It's liberating. Okay, so in this new book. You, it takes the form of letters that you're writing to your father. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your father, please? 
Well, you know, in this book, I wanted to talk to him about um, the best moments we had. Uh, Our relationship, like all loving relationships, had its ups and downs. But when it came to stories, it was almost perfect. Uh, and the, both of us participated so passionately in it, in, in our exchanges. Um, I talk about how he himself went through turbulent times, including uh, four years in jail uh, without a trial. And once he had the trial, he was um, exonerated of all charges. And those four years taught me that life can be very fickle and not to put my trust in anything that can be taken away from me so easily. And that was when I turned to stories. The stories to steal from Nabokov became my portable home. No matter where I lived and how I lived, uh, I could always resort to them. I could always go back to them. You use the term Baba John. I presume that's an Iranian term of affection. Yes, it is. Dearest father, dearest dad. And it was your father who instilled your love of stories and your love of books, I guess. You know, when I was about three and a half years old or so, um, we started this routine where every night he would tell me a story. And he was very democratic in the stories he told. Uh, One day he would take me to uh, the mythological world of our epic poet Ferdowsi. The next day we would fly to France with Little Prince. The next day to England with Alice in Wonderland, to United States with Charlotte's Web, to Denmark with Little Match Girl. I mean, I can go on and on. And I learned... Uh, by and by, that I can be stay in that little room in Tehran and not go anywhere, but the world will come to me. So my father, with his stories, brought the world to me and made me realize how enjoyable it was to not read or listen to stories because you know everything, but because you don't know. Through stories, you discover new realms, new people, new ways of looking at life. And um, that, again, was liberating. Okay. So uh, let's talk about reading dangerously then. So uh, The Handmaid's Tale is one of the books you write about reading. Now, I read that book, mm, I don't know, more than 20 years ago, and it was a different time. And it seemed completely 100% dystopian to me. You read it more recently, it sounds. And I think it's, it, it, it appears much closer to reality for you. Is that correct? Yes. Well, when I lived in the Islamic Republic, I used to say that the world around me is not just unreal. It is irreal. It goes beyond any concept you have of reality or lack of it, you know. And that absurdity of the life I lived under uh, many times reminded me of dystopian novels. But what Atwood does in Handmaid's Tale, um, it is not just that 
as she mentions, the facts that she brings are all proven through history. I mean, she takes her facts mainly from history and um, uh, creates that dystopian world through a set of realities uh, that um, she picks from different places and different spaces. But what really amazed me about that book but was how she created the atmosphere of a totalitarian state. You know, that claustrophobic um, atmosphere where uh, you think that you will never, ever get out of this nightmare. You will never wake up uh, to any form of uh, reality. Uh, and uh, that is what I found uh, close to reality, mainly the atmosphere she created. Uh, the air we breathed in became suffocating in itself. So you also, um, you also consider James Baldwin in depth in the book. Um, I, I, George Floyd had happened, was happening when you were putting pen to paper here. But Baldwin was writing in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Why is he so important to you? Well, you know, that is what great literature does. Um, it transcends time and space. Uh, so that, you know, I, I always think, uh, when I think of Iran, I, I think how amazing that my students living in the Islamic Republic of Iran at the end of 20th century would have such close connections to a man named Aeschylus who lived in another country, spoke a different language and who lived thousands of years ago, that they still can read Antigone and uh, say, oh my God, this is how I feel. This is the dilemma I have between the state and my personal life. Uh, so would Baldwin, I think that there is that timelessness about a lot of his work, especially when it comes to applying it to United States. Um, in his time, he was fighting against racism, of course, and he was active in that. But at the same time, what he says in his writing, which is so important to us today, is that we should not give in to hatred that uh, our judgment should be based upon knowledge. He says ignorance allied with power is the most vicious enemy of justice. So he is against ignorance. And at the same time, he is against we becoming a carbon copy of our, our enemy by spewing hatred, becoming like him. He refuses that and takes the difficult path. So um, talking of being angry and frustration and expressing it, in, in Read Dangerously, there's a passage where you talk about being stopped at a roadblock in Iran mm. by uh, a man and two teenagers with machine guns. Okay, an, an everyday occurrence, I would have guessed. Um, but you said that... If they'd killed you and your companion, your female companion at the time, they wouldn't. They might not have been punished. And then you, you seem to, um, you seem to not accept it, but hold back your frustration. Um, how is it possible, even now, all these years afterwards, to 
to to manage how angry you are or not be angry about things like this? I tell tell you the truth. I did get very angry many times. Um, there were times when I felt that I should die if if I continue living the way I was living under the Islamic regime. But um, I think that anger and hatred need to be challenged, uh, both challenged and channeled. I wanted to have to turn my anger into something constructive. Um, like one example of constructive resistance um, is what uh, Iranian women did in regards to their rights that were taken away from them when the regime came to power, and in regards to the mandatory veil, which had prison terms and uh, flogging women who disobeyed wearing the mandatory veil. And what they did, they didn't um, pick up guns, but they took off their um, uh, their veils and walked into the streets, were taken to jail, were flogged. They could come back and do the same thing. So the regime at some point had to retreat because he could, they could not uh, put all the young women in Iran um, in jail they had to retreat from the streets rather than those young women. And that is what I call constructive form of resistance. For me, constructive form of resistance is writing. Writing makes me keep a distance with the reality that angers me. And it makes me want to investigate that reality. So rather than becoming an interrogator, I become an investigator and try to understand, in order to better fight, I have to understand them better. And uh, I tried to do that while I was living in Iran. And I wrote, sometimes I wrote for myself, I couldn't publish, but just the act of writing uh, was uh, very, very important to my survival. So there's... um. There's another book that you feature in Read Dangerously, David Grossman's To the End of the Land novel. So I wasn't familiar with this book, but you really consider it in depth. And it's about the Israel-Palestine conflict. Um, So another example of of, uh, a difficult, challenging situation. Why is this so... Why is this book important? God, it's... uh, The... You know, uh, when I was trying to explain um, about hatred, reading Grossman uh, makes made me understand better uh, that we ha- we cannot. Although the enemy dehumanizes us, we cannot dehumanize them. He um, is very progressive in his views on Israel and Palestine, and he blames Israel for occupation uh, of Palestinian lands. Uh, And he tries to humanize all his characters. And at the center of his book, there's this question, can we live decently in indecent times? That is the whole idea behind uh, To the End of the Land. 
the protagonist in that novel, Aura, she tries to live decently in indecent times and goes against the flow, goes against the current. And um, that, I think, is very important for us today. And um, I bring, uh, in that chapter, I bring uh, uh, an anecdote about um, Edward Said and uh, Daniel Birbaum, um, who created an orchestra that was um, composed of um, all the forces that in reality are opposed to one another. Uh, in that orchestra, they had uh, Israelis and Palestinians. They had uh, people from Iran and from different parts of Middle East. And that is the power of art. That is what art can do. It can unite those who are divided. And uh, I liked, and, and uh, Said talks about it as a, a humanizing act. Uh, it's a great humanistic action. And uh, I believe that. I wanted to do that in my book, to bring uh, people together uh, in my stories that were divided in reality. So what's the the overall final message of Read Dangerously? Is it hope? Well, there is always hope, but it depends upon how we look at it, how we treat it. For example, the situation right now in the United States, uh, as far as I can see, it is very dire. But as I mentioned, uh, I think in relationship to the George, um, uh, George Floyd uh, demonstrations, uh, we are at a crossroads right now. On one hand, we have this deep crisis and trends that are, uh, well, we could even call them fascistic uh, and totalitarian, uh, dominating segments of the society. Uh, so that part of it is not hopeful, but we are also at a point of transition. The reason we see so much violence is because some people who are in power are really frightened that this power will be taken away from them or shared by others. So it is a time when diversity can also happen if we stand up for our rights, and if we do not turn into our enemy, do not use their tactics, I think there's hope there. Uh, because, because of this diversity that is so threatening to the establishment, uh, we need to uh, use our power and know and not victimize ourselves, not consider ourselves as victims. So I do have hope, yes. Right. So you, uh, you're a professor of English literature, um, but I'm wondering, do you ever read anything escapist, anything light? Um, oh, definitely. I mean, I don't know if it's escapist or light, but my one of my favorite genres is mystery. I just read, I mean, 
from Raymond Chandler to Aeon Rankin to Ann Perry to Sarah Paretsky to uh, I can, uh, Dashiell Hammett, I, I can go on and on. I read them. I have always considered in the back of my mind, uh, I have been playing with the idea of writing about the mystery novel and the morality of the mystery novel. You know, you always have someone who is, even when they are within the establishment, they are anti-establishment, you know, and um, that really is um, very interesting. In in reading Lolita in Tehran, you talk about uh, going to the last remaining English language bookstore and getting a pile of books, including a pile of mysteries, um, to... And the store closed shortly after that big purchase. Yeah. 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 Is it possible? So you, you write ex, uh, extensively about um, literary fiction, uh, everything from Lolita to Gatsby and things like that. Is it possible to read dangerously, to be challenged by something that isn't, you know, a, the great American novel or high literary fiction that maybe is non-fiction or a memoir or, or a travel log or something like that? Oh, definitely. Um, th when I talk about fiction, I'm not putting it against uh, non-fiction at all. We have great works of non-fiction, um, from essays to memoirs to uh, a lot of uh, other forms. Um, but in this book, I was focusing on fiction because fiction structurally is democratic. All the characters in a novel have to have their own voice. If the novelist imposes her voice upon those characters, then she becomes a dictator. And even the villain has a voice uh, in a great novel. So, uh, and, and usually a novel is about freedom of choice. And usually at the center of it, when it comes to freedom of choice, you have you find a woman. Uh, in 19th and 18th century English literature, you find all these subversive women who say no to the dictates of their society and their um, parents and say that uh, I want to live with the man I want to. I don't want to live with a man because of his money or because my family wants me to or because I will be desperately poor if I don't marry. And that is a very subversive message, really. Uh, so that is why I chose the novel, but not to um, denounce other works. Right. So we're talking about characters who take actions and then deal with the consequences. Yes. 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 Good and bad. Yes. All right. Definitely. Okay. Uh, all right. One final question, Azar. And this is one we ask to all our guests, and that is what book or books, and I suspect it is books, are you currently reading? Well, you mentioned um, whether I am um, most focused on fiction, and I have for you books that are not fiction, but are I think they're great. Um, one is uh, Anne Applebaum's uh, Twilight of Democracy, 
uh, that I'm enjoying a lot, especially in a time like this, obviously. Uh, the other one is called The Mirror of My Heart. It is 1,000 years of uh, Persian poetry by women. Uh, it, it is translated beautifully by Dick Davis into English. And the last one is, a graph, uh, is an illustrated book uh, by one of the most um, gifted and passionate illustrators and writers, the Czech um, writer Peter Sis. It's called um, Nikki and Vera, a quiet hero of the Holocaust, the children he rescued, and of course, Mouse. I'm saying I'm bringing these two books because of what happened to Mouse. And I want to remind people that um, banned books is very dangerous to the health of a democracy. And uh, we as readers and writers have a duty to stand up to wherever books are banned or censored. Indeed. Sometimes the ban just increases awareness, as in this one. Uh, this is how it worked with Mouse. Yes, yes, that's very true. So um, hopefully, hopefully we won't forget it. I mean, a crisis comes and everyone starts doing things, but it needs to be continued even in times when there are no crises, because freedom is an ordeal and it needs to be nurtured and nourished. So really... Mouse is actually a, a good one to end on because it's a lovely example of reading dangerously. It, it challenges the reader. Definitely does. And uh, each of these books I mentioned in one way or another challenge the reader. And uh, the reader should welcome the challenge. Uh, one of the things that I worry about is how complacent we have become. We don't want to read anything that is not about us or that does not confirm us. And I think that reading is to come out of yourself and join others. Go under the skin of people you don't know, but you should know maybe. All right. Okay. That's all we have time for today. Uh, thank you to Azar Nafisi, who is the author of Read Dangerously, the subversive power of literature in troubled times. Thank you very much. I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. My name is Richard Davis, and you've been listening to an Abe Books podcast. And we'll see you all again soon.